Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Begin as the stage, begin as the stage. everyone and welcome to this week's backstage at cry havoc where we are talking about cults which is a very exciting topic i think and i am joined by david k barnes and rafaela marcus please both could you introduce yourselves with your pronouns and let us know what you did on the show cry havoc though frankly if you've listened this far and you don't know who david is well, maybe you haven't listened to them all, <laughs> but he has been on a few. <laughs> David, would you like to go first? <laughs> Hello, I, I'm David. I, uh, he, him. I'm the creator of Cry Havoc, which you may or may not have listened to. Yeah, hi, I'm, I'm Raf, she, her, and they, them. And I wrote episode seven of Cry Havoc and also episode eight, the next episode set in the theatre. So um, I have a, a vested interest in saying, yes, please, please listen to them. Just listen to seven and eight. Yeah, you should listen to the rest of the series. You don't series, need any more context. The seven and eight, you should listen to. And you may know me and my other guys as the director and one of the writers of, of Trice Forgotten as well. Another Rusty Quill historical show. Indeed. I'm getting my plugs in early today. Well done. Excellent work. <laughs> Excellent work. Really appreciate it. Right. Let's start with a brief description of what happens in episode seven, though hopefully everyone has just listened. Would you like to take it, Raph? Uh, this is the episode in which Octavius and Mark try to join a cult. Yes. They try to join the cult of Mithras, which I'm sure we'll get into, but it was a real Roman cult, Ooh. on the, the promise of, of great riches. And meanwhile, in parallel, Fulvia and Cleopatra are having a spiky girl boss drinks. <laughs> That's my description. It's, it's all said over a single night. And Octavia's there as well, but I, I, I shan't spoil her role. Do you know what? I think that scene between Fulvia and Cleopatra is the first I ever read of Cry Havoc because it was the audition scene for Fulvia. Oh. Yeah, and I really loved it. So that's nice, isn't it? What's your experience, Raf, with writing for writers' rooms? Have you done that before? Because you write a lot by yourself. I know that. I do, because I'm a controlling and harsh mistress. of No, <laughs> no actually, this was my first writers' room. Ah. And then from here, I was asked if I'd like to come on board with Trice Forgotten as well. So that was my second writers' room. I, I loved being in the, the Cry Havoc writers' room. Because I don't know if you covered this in, in previous episodes, but David and Imani had produced this very, very brilliantly useful and comprehensive show bible that also included breaking down the series into sections and sort of going, well, we're going to assign two writers to a section. And I, 
being who I am, there was a section where they went, yeah, in this, in this bit, it's quite early in the series. We don't really need to do any overarching plot at this point. We just kind of want to play in the sandbox of what we've got. And I went, oh, can I do that, please? Because I have thoughts <laughs> and ideas and opinions <laughs> about what might be fun to hear in a sitcom set in ancient Rome. So what did you have to work from writing them? The show Bible, I guess. But I, did you have things you needed to hit? Yeah, there's, so then I wrote the next one, which is theatre as well so that obviously involves Octavia and and Charmian so there are things that I needed to hit in in that episode and then also in the way of when you have a writer's room then when David takes everything away in script edits it and goes oh we've actually decided to move up a plot beat here so we're actually we're going to put that it could you know so sometimes in the notes it was actually could you write this into the episode we've now decided that this is a good place for this thing to happen or you write a version of a character and then once you know David and Amani have looked at the whole series they've sort of gone our understanding this character has moved a bit so could you rewrite them so they're more like this so yeah it was a very kind of collaborative kind of back and forth process I would say this one about cults I think was more me wanting to write about cults um, <laughs> it, it was you know the, the prompt was Mark and Guy's need money yeah. and, and I went oh I've got an idea yeah oh brilliant I was gonna ask was it always going to be a cult or did that come from you and it came from you that was rough one of the topics in the bible said at some point we ought to do an episode that's vaguely about religion <laughs> and, and that was it and then Raph said I've got cults I went yeah and came up with an entire sort of outline of guys and Mark joined the Freemasons and I went yeah, yes, yeah yeah done yeah absolutely that's brilliant Raph what was your Rome knowledge before because I know David has degree history with it as it were <clears throat> What was yours? Well, I, I'm, I'm what they uh, commonly refer to as a, a nerd, Larry. So, um, Fantastic. I <laughs> do not have kind of history degree kind of level knowledge of it, but I studied Latin at school, uh, again, like, like optionally. Again, <laughs> sorry, like, like a nerd. <laughs> I'm kind of, yeah, I chose to do Latin at school and I really liked it. And then I ended up doing it all the way up to A-level and then didn't do it at university because I kind of had a realistic view of myself and I went, I'm not that good at it. Um, but through reading the language, because ob- very obviously it's a dead language, so kind of the point of Latin is to get an insight into a culture and a set of literature and um, in its original language. So it was my entry point was very much through the language and the literature but even before that you know it was just one of the periods of history that that I loved I think we kind of have a view of the Romans as it's kind of it's either sort of orgies and decadence or it's this kind of sort of sour-faced empire builders and you know there's there's a real weirdness to this period in in time I think it's much more alien than we give it credit for yes yeah so what is a cult? Like, I, I know, right? But like, why is that different to just like a society of people, like a group of people who just meet? Or how is it different to a religion? Or is it not different to a religion? And maybe let's try and narrow that to in Roman times and now as well. I think that's relevant. Yeah, well, we have a specific idea of associations with the word cult, you know, when we say it now. But it's a word that kind of begins as, as like a subset of a, a religion, like a sect. But, you know, I don't think there's any hard and fast boundaries to what makes something yeah. a cult rather than like a, a denomination of, of something. But usually there's, there's a measure of secrecy 
around it. There's a there's an insiders and outsiders yeah. feel to it. The cult of, of Mithras, which is the one in the episode, which was a, a real Roman cult. You know, you could also call it a secret society. And you can kind of see where my brain started going in terms of how it's characterised in the episodes. But yeah, it's and, and a religious cult obviously usually has like a focal point of worship. So it's a you know like lots of Roman gods, but a religious cult, a Roman religious cult would focus just on the one god specific rites um and kind of mysteries related to that so you know there's also in if you've read the secret history by by donna tart a fantastic book that i love and there's a group of classic students in that who kind of start recreating the sort of greek ancient mystery rites of dionysus who's bacchus in in roman god terms so yeah it was this combination of religion and secrecy i think of kind of you'd be initiated into it there are rites and rituals it has a hierarchical structure to it or the the mithras cult certainly had a hierarchical structure to it of like the longer you were in the higher you ascend so that is where the kind of Scientology sort of comparisons come yeah. in. And, yeah. I just had a little moment of glee because even though the other backstage episode with Raph is going to come out after this, we have recorded it before. And it just made me think of Snake Boy, the Buffy episode where they encounter yes. a, a fraternity cult, right? I am sure that was in my head when I wrote this episode. You know, <laughs> it's a very like Buffy-esque joke, I think, to kind of build up like, oh, this ancient, mysterious, like, sinister cult. And then it's a drinking society. Yeah. <laughs> Gosh. So tell me about the cult of Mithras then. Where did you first encounter them? Who were they? And what do we know about them? So actually, so Gaius is spouting off a bunch of stuff about them at the beginning of the episode, which is all accurate. So, ah. so he gives you the history of them. But um, Mithras wasn't a Roman god originally, because this is the other thing, the way, like the way that religion works when you have a, a colonising force is it kind of starts to assimilate local religions, kind of, and, and other countries' religions into, into its own. I came across the cult of Mithras because... In London, where I live, you can go and visit the remains of the Temple of Mithras from Roman Britain. And it's in the basement of the Bloomberg building in the city of London, as in the area of the city of London. I think it's actually a recreation, but it's free to go in. You know, you sort of go down into the basement and it's very beautifully curated. And it's the remains of this temple and they've kind of created a bit of an installation to give you a feel of what the atmosphere would be like and I read about this and I kind of went oh I'm one day I was out about I was like oh I'm nearby I'm just gonna go and see what it's like and there's a lot of nice sort of exhibition and information about it and I went in and I walked around and I'd been reading the information they'd given about the rituals and the hierarchy of the cult and 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 Mithras is kind of unique in being actually one of the only men only ones actually mostly they had like mixed gender membership and I went in and I was like I am in the heart of the financial district of this city walking around the remains of this all-male cult that was by all accounts influential through the back channels you know like the masons and I sort of went this isn't religious at all I was like you know this has a veneer of religion this is a boys club this is a private members club to kind of create the unofficial channels of power and you know I've got no way of proving that but that's that was my take on it so yes and I 
going to write this episode it was kind of all there already I sort of this idea about the cult of Mithras which was a very popular cult that had kind of come from Parthia I think it was somewhere and and Mithras is a very weird god who has a specific iconography of like he's riding a bull and he has a funny looking hat <laughs> and kind of you know I mean there's a dog and some stars it's all, it's all a very specific set of stuff but I sort of went yeah it's a boys club it's a and that then became a drinking society in the and I was, I was thinking also about like the Bullingdon Club and other sort of all-male establishments that um, I don't know the Bullingdon Club is that Cambridge or Oxford it's Oxford it's the the drinking society that uh, several of our esteemed prime ministers have belonged to and it reflects very well on us as a nation yeah yep 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 great (laughs) something that is occurring to me I don't know that I would, yeah, I wouldn't describe the Freemasons as a cult, but I suppose they are in a way. But you are right, it's a boys club for sure. Rory is a Freemason. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just think that people have a too harsh a view on them, you know? No, I do not. I do not. So you've mentioned religion a, a few times. Am I understanding right that the cult or cults would have started in religion yeah and 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 mithras was definitely still a a a religious cult it's kind of because you know the romans have lots of gods that they stole from the greeks you know they're they're literally the same gods with different names in the same way actually as if you look at something like catholicism now it's such a global religion there are areas of the kind of like there are sort of south american countries where they have a particular and they will they use the word cult but with a slightly different definition like the cult of mary worship or the cult of a particular saint and it kind of more means like a devotion i think to a particular religious figure and you know it's a huge huge part of public life religion in in rome it sort of crossover also into theater which uh you know more on that next week (laughs) because you know i think the thing about mythologies is that when we think of mythologies we think of them as being not the stories but they're not just stories it's like bible stories it's their religious stories there's an element of truth to them to to the romans because it's explaining the world and it's explaining the way the gods behave. I know Roman religion, a lot of their mythology, they're not really fussed about how the world's created, but they are very fussed about how Rome is created, how Rome is founded. And so they're not really fussed about anything beyond Rome itself. It's a very sort of, sort of blinkered view of everything. It's like, let's look at the foundation of Rome and let's go Romulus and Remus and let's go further back, let's look at Aeneas escaping the Trojan War and you know coming to Italy and there's a there's a lot of that so there's a lot of mythology in in that area yeah religion is so fundamental to Roman society I think to us it's the probably the biggest deviation the way uh, that this series presents Rome compared to ancient Rome as we know it is the role of religion uh, which is integral to Roman society in a way which it is kind of an occasional mention in, in this, I think there's probably more mention of religion in this one episode than the rest <laughs> of the series combined. And even then, it's not we're not even looking at big Roman gods. Uh, you know, we're not looking at like festivals of Jupiter and, and Ceres. We're looking at like a cult, and it's a secret mystery cult, which is just it's a lot of fun to do something like this because I think this is when when Raph uh, said oh, I want to do one about cults. I thought yes, this is one of the easiest ways to have a kind of analogy to now. And I was thinking like Freemasons, but also yeah, Bullington Club and just drinking societies and and these sort of the hazing where people. Uh, initiations and you get blindfolded and then yeah very fraternity feeling yeah yeah i think leaning very far into that there's a a look at the 
the initiations of the Mifres God, how to get into the cult of Mifras through my esteemed colleague Wikipedia, <laughs> which says, uh, Initiates were naked, bound with their arms behind them, and kneeled before a priest, whereupon they would be released from bondage and crowned, but not permitted to rise until a particular moment. It's all very eyes wide shut. <laughs> There's a great deal of feasting involved as well, but there's all these uh, curious initiations about which we know very little because the sad thing about them being secret cults is that most of them kept the secret and so they didn't write it down and so we don't know much about them. We know they existed, we don't know much about them. But that's good because it means that we can just make it up. It always sort of struck me that, you know, there's these very sort of revered, like the one that's kind of mentioned in the secret history, you know, like the Eleusinian mysteries and the Dionysian mysteries, all of this, you know, and and the kind of interpretation of them through the years because we don't know the facts of them being, oh, then they must have taken incredible hallucinogens and gone to these, these frenzied states where they communicate with the divine and this is my kind of a little bit of an answer to that I was like or (laughs) (laughs) or they're drinking society or we like dressing up and saying some funny words because we get to have a big drink and a big meal afterwards yeah Yeah. because it's not like religion is so tied to everything and there's state that there is no division between church and state religion is at the heart of Roman society and politics. I think actually Pontifex Maximus, I think, isn't that the, mm. the highest sort of um, titles you can have in ancient Rome? And it's connected to the priesthood. In fact, Lepidus was the Pontifex Maximus at this time. He isn't in this series because that would be far too responsible a job for our <laughs> Lepidus to be able to fulfill. But the real Lepidus was made Pontifex Maximus. And the various statesmen, they all, you know, Gaius, Octavian, um, associated himself with the god Apollo. And in fact, much later in his life, tried to sort of circulate the rumour that his father was Apollo and he was actually born of divinity. Um, Mark Antony associates himself with Heracles and then with Dionysus, Bacchus. And it's this thing of, you know that god you all like? I'm like that. Yeah, I'm like that. He, he's my mate. I'm sort of like the embodiment of that god. And it's, it's, it's a very odd state of affairs. Which you can sort of feel Cleopatra's influence in that as well. Because yeah. the Egyptian pharaohs are gods. You know, they're living gods. And, yeah. you know, she was very canny with her iconography of being the goddess Isis reborn. And her son, or her various, and sort of being, this is Horus, Isis's son, kind of reborn. You know, and that's the sort of branding that she used on the coin so it's not a huge stretch from there to Mark Antony going I could be a god yeah, yeah. deification is quite crucial in, in, in Rome like you, you're not a god when you're alive but when you die you can be made a god somehow afterwards so the idea that you know Cleopatra walking as a living god that's very bad form you're not to be, meant to be a god till after you die is that anyone could be made a god or is it just if, oh, no, no. if, you're, yeah, if you're a special <laughs> person gotcha yeah thought, thought so so Ovid poet Ovid wrote book called the metamorphosis or lots of poems that all tell various myths of transformation but it also kind of goes chronologically through like the mythological history of it goes from the creation of the world to the deification of julius caesar and exactly as david said earlier you know their big like nation building myth is that rome was founded by a guy called aeneas who was a trojan he was escaped from the trojan war and his mum is venus so you know there's a divine heritage to rome and then hilariously actually lots of other post-roman empire a bunch of other european countries sort of copied that and like sort of went oh we were all founded by fleeing trojans yeah 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 oh yeah london london had a myth paris had a myth of like oh yeah yeah no we had a trojan as well it wasn't just rome yeah i think the the biggest 
cult, or well, the cult in, in in Rome, which ends up having the the, the greatest sway over things, because uh, it was a cult for a while, is Christianity, which is technically yes. sort of a kind of a cult for a while until it gets very big, and then it isn't <laughs> because too many people are following it. But that's not happening at this time. But Christianity is a very big thing, and in fact, it's Christianity several you know hundred years later when Rome ends up, you know, Roman emperors end up converting to Christianity. It's then that they start stamping out a lot of these cults, including the cult of Mithras. Mm. Cult of Mithras eventually kind of meets its end because Christianity stamps it out. Or at least the imperial version of Christianity is practiced by Roman emperors yes. who are going, am I doing it right? Am I doing it right? <laughs> like this? And the, the end of the, the empire, the, the Roman Empire fractures into two and the, the eastern half yeah. becomes the, uh, the Ottoman Empire and the western half becomes the Holy Roman Empire, which the joke is always it wasn't holy or Roman or an empire. <laughs> so, and yes, it's the, the emperors of the, the Holy Roman and that lasts for, for quite a long time. Yeah. But yeah, absolutely. But before hundreds of years down the line from this series, before Mithras meets its end, absolutely. Christianity is perceived as a, well, because it is a, a sect of Judaism, right? They're kind of, there's not a, a distinction that the Romans are making between Christians and Jews. They're kind of, and also because Christians weren't making that distinction either. You know, that, like that kind of, that separation doesn't really exist yet. So yes, it's all a very organic kind of, <laughs> growth of sects and cults out of sects and yeah. cults and, and then some get very big and then some, some blow up you know it's yeah some do good box office yeah <laughs> <laughs> i feel like i should have learned this in school but because there are so many gods and things do we know how people well one how they worshipped but how you decided which god like did you worship them all is is it normal that everyone would be in a kind of cult i think it's sort of well i mean you've got a sort of a pantheon of gods and then i mean certainly ancient greece you have a pantheon of gods when you have gods for different towns different cities different activities etc and there are gods for practically everything but i think there are gods that everyone broadly follows but they yeah i think there would be certain gods the ones that are relevant to what you do i mean if you're a soldier there'll be certain gods i do imagine if you're a soldier you'd be quite keen on mars but then when the yeah. cult of mithras in itself is actually very uh, a lot of soldiers particularly like that cult so there must be something about mithras i mean there's all that bull killing i guess so they quite like that and the silly hats but there are a lot of gods most of whom are imported and as rome expands and then conquers other territories rather than stamping out religions as raf said they just kind of go yeah you can carry on worshiping that god i mean we'll read we'll do a bit of editing so it's a little bit more roman there off you go and carry mm. on because they go there's no point in, in interfering with their customs unnecessarily if they're just going to happy to do what we tell them they can worship whatever they want and then it kind of ends up feeding back into rome and then roman citizens start going that's quite a good god i like that one in bath in the uk so bath was a, a roman it's called bath because it's named after the oh, roman yeah, baths the the romans built there and the roman name for it was aquae sulis which um is the waters of sulis sulis was a local goddess and, and she was a local goddess a, sort of a, a british goddess and then the, the romans went she's actually minerva who's the, the goddess of, of wisdom and when you think current calling her sulis you can't worship her but, she, but just know that she is she's actually just fyi, FYI <laughs> she's actually the roman god minerva so yeah they're doing this all over but the other thing that you'd have as well is the lares who are the family gods so each home would have a little shrine and they're almost like 
more like spirits than gods, but it was sort of, you know, prey to the Lars or the Lares to protect the family, this domestic unit specifically. Yeah. And you've got things like, you know, trying to tell the future by which direction an eagle flies or looking at the entrails of animals. Or There's a lot of that kind of thing as well. And it's all taken, you know, very seriously. Like, before we go and fight in a war, let's do this and make sure the gods are on our side. And, of course, it's easy to, to think that, you know, if you have a predetermined result you want, you can interpret the re- things however you want. But it is still also baked into big decision-making. There are occasional references to this in Cry Havoc as it goes on, but it's, it's not... I say it's still not very prevalent in the series, which is a bit of a choice, I guess, because... Partly, I'm not particularly religious myself, I have no religious convictions, so when I'm thinking of characters, it's quite low down, the things I think, oh yes, that. But mainly it's because, as a comedy, and as a comedy where I want the characters to be as relatable as possible, having a lot of sort of um, practice that seem a bit odd to us, sort of, I don't want to stop and sort of, you know, relatable, 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 you know, drinking, and then suddenly this weird thing. Yeah, it's. I want these characters to be relatable, and I also don't want to fall into the trap of, oh, look at these funny religious practices, aren't they silly for being a bit weird and different? Yeah, I think it it works here very much because of the whole sort of the cultimifras, but the way that Raph is sort of transformed into that kind of a drinking club thing, because there's a very much a modern equivalence to pull upon there. But um, Romans, you know, sitting there and worshiping Venus or worshiping Mars, and you know, doing something odd doesn't quite fit into the story of Rome. It's a comedy series set in ancient Rome rather than a series about ancient Rome. We don't know that they're not doing that off screen. They're doing it all the time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's also this way of looking at cults in this episode. It's a very Terry Pratchett way of yes. looking at it as well, is realising the other big influence on that episode in the way that sort of Terry Pratchett is very, very good at presenting something so instantly recognisable and just abstracting it a little bit into a, a fantasy world. But yeah, this is my, my Terry Pratchett take on both cults and drinking societies. And then and the other space in the episode which is completely ahistorical is with Cleopatra and Fulvia having a drink and they're in a sort of what I imagined to be the Roman equivalent of a sort of all-female as a sort of counterpoint to the all-male Mithras cult a sort of all-male private members club a very sort of yeah sort of girl boss members club and that absolutely didn't exist uh, in ancient (laughs) (laughs) because even you know rich women in the the lives of rich women they were were expected to at least present themselves as being oh i'm i'm interested in weaving mm. and you know and sitting quietly and you know chastity and virtue in these hugely prized virtues for roman women which then is completely at odds with what we historically know of of women like fulvia who absolutely were you know running their own schemes uh, and and so on so yes, sadly, there's no Roman like women's club, and that didn't exist. And I, I, I can't remember if it's ever said in the episode, but I think I put in the stage directions that it's called Juno's Cock, the the wine bar that they go to, which is a mythological reference. Yep. The goddess Juno, who is hero in Greek mythology, has peacocks. Uh, so brilliant. That was my joke that maybe mercifully didn't end up. There have been a lot of fallacies in the backstage episodes, <laughs> and I think I'm okay with it. I mean, the Romans wore penises as protective charms. They were everywhere. Great. You know, they're very into protective charms, little charms that you wear as necklaces. And some of the most common ones were penises, very often that had wings and bells on them. Fantastic. 
Oh, usually I will use a penis as a segue, but I can't right now. I'm going, I'm going to ask, though, because we touched on women. And spoiler, if you haven't listened to episode seven, you should do that. Where did the decision come from to have Octavia be secretly the grand... Grandmaster? Is that what she's called? The Pater. The Pater. The Pater, of course. Um, I thought it would be funny. Yeah. Yeah, good. I, I thought it might have been that. <laughs> That's mainly it. I, I think I'd already come up with the thing of like, oh, they're going to get into this, this society and then find out it doesn't have these fabled riches at all, obviously. And actually, yeah. Yeah. they'll end up footing the bill for the next one. And yeah, I just I needed something to do with Octavia, I think, in, in the episode. And I thought it would be funny as well to have guys that sort of like, I've been searching for years yeah. to yeah. find this cult. And then Octavia was like, I found it in a week. <laughs> I think originally there was a, one of the plots, because we had Gaius and Mark with the cult and Fulvia and Cleopatra having drinks there. And originally there was also another plot of Octavia and Charmian going on a date and Octavia yes. thinking that she might be worrying about she was going to be really dull and you know typical Roman woman you know just at these sort of posh women's parties and no look I'm more than that look here's a thing I can show you and she was going to take Charmian and at the end reveal to Charmian look I'm also in charge of this cult but it was because the episode there was so much material and I thought you know we've got a lot of Octavian Charmian material in the episode surrounding it yeah the cult is going to take a bit of time and Fulvian Cleopatra is kind of a USP of the episode so we've you know that's why Charmian is sort of running away at the beginning and doesn't really turn up again until the end and I said to Raph I'm sorry you've written these lovely scenes can we cut them because we just don't have enough space but can we then expand <laughs> oh, on these ones here yeah, and, and, I, and I wept and howled and then I went oh no you're right <laughs> you did but I didn't want to cut any of the full of you and Cleopatra scenes I thought well those two characters won't meet again for a little while I think so let's let's, yeah. let's maximise that but I was also just aware as well that with Fulvia you know all the stuff that she says about herself in those scenes is true yeah and we weren't you know we'd been waiting a few episodes now I think to kind of get her her backstory yeah Almost. So, so yes, I was very, very happy to get that in and to get in some of the Cleopatra married her brothers and, you know, to kill all of her siblings on the yeah. way to the throne and, and get all of that in. So, so yes. It's a very pleasing pairing as well, I yeah. think, Fulvia and Cleopatra. Yes. Like, it's a very... Oh, we've kind of come full circle because we started talking about that scene and now we are, I, we are going to have to mm-hmm. be at the end of the episode, even though I want to keep talking. Uh, I'm going to ask one more question that we have to answer quickly. Did they actually go in for human sacrifice? Do we know that, Romans? Very rare. I don't think so. You know, it's the kind of thing, you know, how it was practiced at some points in some religions that probably fed into Rome or were in Rome. But there's certainly, there's no, like, what evidence of it being a widespread thing at all so but I took it an educated guess but the thing that happens in the episode of like oh you have to kind of pretend to do a human sacrifice I wouldn't be surprised if that was because this is a thing that happens in religion all the time of like an actual ritual gets replaced mm. with a symbolic version oh, of it yeah yeah good point yeah I think it's why the Romans also they are very sort of concerned with say like the Druids for instance because they go oh those Druids those people who do human sacrifice and the Romans sort of assume that any sort of religious group who aren't them are doing human sacrifices and are very worried about <laughs> that. I think it's one that they're actually quite worried about a number of the cults because they are quite sh- shadowy and secret and even if a lot of Romans are at them, they don't know what's going on in there and they're not controlled directly by the state religion and the state religion is all over the place. He goes, look, we, if you want religion, we've got it. We've got all this stuff going on. Why are you going to go over there to that party? So human sacrifice is something that they would very much detest but because it's uh, it's exactly the sort of thing that you might go to a, a, a secret cult and then be read and think I wonder if they do human sacrifice I've heard they do and then they go oh god they're doing a human yeah. sacrifice <laughs> oh no and perhaps they can have a human sacrifice in this yeah go on yeah. <laughs> go on I have two actually yeah yeah and just yeah a nice, a nice opportunity to a little like 
fundamental Mark and Gaius difference. Yeah. And a tease mm. of an interesting difference. Yeah, actually, that is a nice character moment for both of them. Yeah, I really like Rafad Mark as, you know, he was going to have to like, say, no, I don't, I don't do this. But th- this, the person who has done lots of killing before on the battlefield refuses to do it here because this is not how you do it. And you go, that's good. It, Mark is the sort of, you know, slightly sort of like the slacker, sort of like high school jock character, but he's got certain things he very much rigidly believes in. He goes so far and no further. And Gaius is the person who's still forming what his identity is in this mm. Roman world, is the one who's slightly more likely to contemplate it. Yeah. And we sort of play with that. Through um, doing like prep for these episodes, I've been seeing more and more little character moments of Gaius, like the hints at who he will become after the series. Yeah. But. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Yeah, because Augustus was a phenomenally successful. Yeah. So there is, oh, it's 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 very very interesting working on something that is not exactly an origin story, but is sort of going well at some point down the road. Yeah. He's yeah. going to become Darth Vader. Yes. So, you know. <laughs> right on Darth Vader. I am going to wrap us up. <laughs> Thank you, everyone, for listening, and I will see you next week. Goodbye, everyone. Bye. 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 Backstage at Cry Havoc is a podcast distributed by Rusty Quill and licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, share-alike 4.0 international license. It is directed by Armani Zardo, produced by Laurie Ann Davis, with executive producers Alexander J. Newell and April Sumner. This episode was edited by Laurie Ann Davis and Catherine Vernella. Thanks for listening. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.